You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. Today's episode, we're going to take a look back. And to do so, we've got a room full of guests who are going to help talk about some of the biggest themes that we saw in 2016 as we kiss this one goodbye and welcome a new year ahead. So with us today, we've got Jenny Reese and Josh Calixto of the Reinventing Retail podcast over at Infor, and of course, Guy Cortan of GT Nexus. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. All right. Great to have you here because this is a lot to talk about. 2016, what a year. It's a great time to be alive. It sure yeah. is. So how accurate were your predictions for 2016? If you look back on them today, Guy. Uh, let's move on from that question. Uh, that's what I thought. Okay. So a lot of stuff, a lot of big macroeconomic <laughs> yes. things, a lot of industries that are shifting and changing yep. and probably even more ahead, especially when we look at it from a supply chain perspective. But let's start with the big stuff. Brexit, U.S. elections, just massive disruptions and change and things affecting the world. What do you say about all that? Well, I think what we say is that it's the system is what it is, right? Changes are going to happen. Impacts are going to happen. Unfortunately, things like Hunjin going out of business will happen. Elections, but, you know, things that are sort of out of the blue like Brexit, which I think most people had said it wasn't going to happen, and then it happened. Now we have to deal with it. Same could be argued with the U.S. election. So we have these large, you know, game-changing events that pop up that we, from a supply chain standpoint, whether it's retail, consumer products, automotive, consumer electronics, what have you, has taken into consideration. Now, those, you know, for the most part are obviously, they're pretty big. They're out of our control, that being our being brands or things of that nature. But they're things that companies have to take in consideration, right, when they're making their plans. They have to start thinking about, well, what if this happens? You know, the one thing I always say is that the one thing supply chains hate is uncertainty. They don't care if it's President Trump or President Clinton, or they don't care if Brexit, I don't mean that they do care, but what I mean is what they want to know is what is it? What is going to happen? Who's going to be president? You know, is the UK going to stay in or out of, of Europe? They want certainty. They don't want uncertainty, and then they can plan for it. So I think that's the biggest thing is really these big events, you know, how are supply chains constantly going to be prepared as these things are always going to continue. I mean, it's, it's not as if, you know, 2015 didn't have its own upheavals or 2014 or, you know, we go all the way back to the beginning of time, you know, when dinosaurs roamed the ground, the right things happened. Who thought of the asteroid coming out and destroying everything? And there go the dinosaur eggs and everything. <laughs> so, you know, we have to constantly think about these things and plan for them and, and understand what happens. So, yes, this year in particular, we saw some big changes. I think we'll see more or we'll see different ones next year. But absolutely something that we, as supply chains, have to take into consideration. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to take that term. You know, things go belly up. There go the dinosaurs. There go the dinosaur eggs. <laughs> I like it. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and probably also last. Yeah, I don't know if that'll catch on. But let's take a look at it from... <laughs> All right, let's shift a little bit. So we framed up 2016 with this massive change and all of this stuff that's unexpected, but the world kind of goes on, right? Let's look at it from the lens of retail, where they've got their own battles to fight, obviously, and where the customer expectation is changing and it's pushing people to try new things in business and to reinvent all of the things that they've been doing and and reimagine what retail used to be. So we'll open up to the group. We have a retail-heavy crowd here. So so what has 2016 meant for that world? From my perspective, I mean, I think supply chain is 
obviously a huge part of this. And I think, especially with the Hanjin bankruptcy, what's happening is that your average consumer now has more insight than ever and also more concern about where are my products coming from? Who's making them? You know, what are the ingredients and how are those sourced? People are more savvy about this than ever and they care more and they're willing to spend their dollars in the places that they feel are sustainable and or meet their value system personally. So I think it's just, it's all about, for retailers, it's about being transparent about your supply chain because people are looking at that now. Whereas once upon a time, it was like, hey, you know, I want this sweater. I don't really care where it came from. It's cute. The price is right and I'll take it. But now we want to know, like, are these businesses operating ethically, sustainably? And that's all about supply chain visibility and transparency. Yeah, and we actually saw some good data to back that up recently. We had a study done with YouGov where, yeah, quantifiably, loyalty isn't just driven by the logo on the pair of shoes. It's driven by the way those things are made. People care if there's slave labor in there or they care if the materials are ethical or if it's, you know, the company they're buying from is doing something to give back to the world. And that's been a big thing. Yeah, and I think one of the things we're seeing, you know, what we saw in 2016, too, is, is yes, continuation of that evolution but also sort of the fundamental need of making sure the products are the right place at the right time for the right price. You know, we've, we've seen one of the big trends or the continuation of the trends that I think in 2016 showed is in a way sort of these artificial brand created sales driven events, right? You look at, obviously we know about Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but you look at things like in China with, um, with Singles Day, right? Which is a completely Alibaba created day of shopping and it drove tremendous numbers this year. You look at things like Amazon Prime Days, right, where they've come out there and, and Amazon has created a, a shopping day, partly, I think, you know, for them to test out some of their technologies and some of their thinking and all that, which is fantastic, and also more than likely to flush out inventory out of their supply chain. But we're seeing, you know, these convergence of retailers trying to drive these sort of destination days for shopping. Now, the question is, can they fulfill those orders, right? So just because I did a billion dollars worth of business on Singles Day, I still got to get that product to my consumer. And to Jenny's point, you know, more and more, we, the consumer, are becoming much more attuned and savvy to what goes into our products. You know, I've started hearing a lot more talk about conflict cotton. So to make sure that the product you buy, the shirts or the couches or whatever, they use cotton, the cotton itself is not being sourced from places. I think it's like Uzbekistan is one area you're not supposed to get your cotton from. But it's, you know, it's really driving more complexity, more need for visibility, and really putting a strain on the brands to keep up with what we want. I mean, because consumers will shop, as you said, we've showed a study that consumers will switch brands, right? It's no longer, I have to have this brand. It's no, I'll, I'll switch. I'll try another brand. I'll come back to the old brand or I may or never will. So the strain on those brands is in 2016, I think we've seen has become more and more because of we the consumer demanding more things around, obviously traditional things around pricing and availability, but now things like understanding, all right, well, where where did my wasabi peas come from? Were they grown properly? How were they handled? How much water was used? What was the transportation cost? What was the CO2 cost? What's the packaging you know look like? We as consumers are expecting more and more of that. And I think that will only continue to evolve. And that's across a whole host of industries. I'll give you an example. I was in Paris recently, and I was on application for the metro system. And you know, you can look up. I need to go from point A to point B. It will tell you what's the best route. It will also tell you the CO2 footprint for that route. So now you can make a decision based on time, based on how many 
buses or metros you have to switch, but also, hey, is this burning more carbon than this other path? That's coming, that we're going to start seeing that more and more, uh, I think, across a whole host of products in retail and commerce and really our daily lives. I'll tell you, just in my own personal life, I... I won't name the company, but I am having a personal boycott of one vendor or supplier or whatever because the packaging is so excessive that I feel guilty about it. And I think a lot of people experience that with Amazon sometimes as well or anything. You know, it's like we're having all these things shipped and you think to yourself, like, how much did this cost, you know, in terms of carbon footprint to get this sweater that I could have bought down the street to my front door? Like, what am I really doing here and what's the impact of all of this on the environment? Yeah, absolutely. You wonder, is it all worth it when you, know, you consider this much bigger view of that stuff and stores themselves are shifting too. And then we've seen that begin this year where they're being used as fulfillment centers where you can ship to store, where there's a lot of other moves that are happening that are advanced. To zoom out a little bit, I feel like one of the things that's really been interesting to me is seeing the past year and the way that sort of predictions have sort of manifested themselves and what people thought was going to be big this year compared to like how it actually played out. We sort of think that like RFID is going to be really big this year or the Internet of Things is going to be really big this year. And then you expect it to just like over the year, everybody's just going to do Internet of Things and just make everything Internet of Things or that stores will look a certain way by the end of the year. Except the way that it sort of ended up playing out this year, I feel like, is we had a lot of little unexpected big events happen that sort of embodied those things just in different ways. Just like how Pokemon Ghost sort of taught us a lot about AR, we had Amazon's recent store where you just walk out with your product whenever you sort of feel like it. We thought that was going to be more of an RFID thing, but it seems that the way that they've implemented that is using cameras. Although the effect at the end of the day is the same thing. You get that like frictionless Mm -hmm. brick and mortar shopping experience. But I feel like the way that predictions should be made or maybe thinking about it this year is just sort of think about what are the big ideas and then expect somebody somewhere, we might not know who it is or how it might exactly manifest itself. Like it'll play out over the course of the year in some way, shape or form. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. VR was going to be huge too, and it still might be, but right now, you know, I guess I could go into Google Goggles and look at the Macy's display windows, but that's right. not really shifting the way that we're doing business and retail right, right now. Right, exactly. All right, but the products. So, okay, we've talked about this and hinted at this a little bit, but the products that people are buying, right? It, it's a lot more that matters to people now, and the way that people are accessing the things that they like has shifted a lot too. Now let's talk about that, right? Because products consumer products and retail, I mean, the lines have blurred a lot. Yeah, and I think we've, we've seen that trend sort of evolving for, for a while now, right, where consumer products are going direct to consumer, obviously because of the internet, because of fulfillment capabilities. Retailers are starting to do their own brands, right? You just go into any uh, Target or uh, Costco, you know, Costco with Kirkland, their own private brands that they're pushing more and more on their own store shelves. So we're definitely seeing a convergence of the two. And talk about reduction of friction where we're seeing, in, and I think this year in particular, we're seeing more and more of it. And I think we'll only see more as we move forward is the ability to do almost, again, we talk about ambient commerce and retail. It's ambient commerce with consumer products. Just look at the Amazon Dash buttons. I think there's about a, over 100 different ones you can get now. They're basically, you, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's actually paid for by the CP companies. You can get like a tied Dash button. You put it wherever you want. We run a tide, you press the button, they deliver it to you. You know, all of a sudden now, it's it's really consumer product companies are bypassing sort of traditional retail channels and say, hey, we'll, we'll just put these 
buttons all over your house and whether it's toilet paper or dishwasher detergent or cat food, you can just press a button and we'll deliver it to you based on what your preferences are. And now we're seeing things again with the voice activated devices like the Echo and things like that, where you can place orders on that. So now it's really blurring those lines where now the consumer product goods companies have a direct tie into us as consumers and have to fulfill those orders as well. But it's blurring those lines. It's, I think, good for the CP company supply chains because now they can get closer to the customer. It's tough for the CP supply chains because now they have to get closer to the customer, right? Before they had this retail channel that would basically flow their products through and they could just deliver products and sort of wash their hands of it. Now they're going to have to take on a lot of the retail front end stuff around fulfillment, returns, servicing, you know, defective parts, things of that nature, which I think will continue. We'll see that continues evolve. And that's not, again, it's, it's not something that just happened in 2016. I think we started, we, we're seeing more things impact it. Like I said, around like the dash buttons, the, the echoes, things like that coming into the house. And I think we're only going to start seeing more of that. And it's 2017 and beyond. Those lines are going to get more and more blurry. Yeah, direct-to-consumer is a major topic of conversation in fashion right now as well for the same reason. So Michael Kors isn't going to put, you know, everything in a Macy's or go through a department store or another retailer. They want to open up their own flagship stores. So a lot of people in fashion talking about that. Interesting to see how that will play out as well. And that moves so much faster, too. Even the non-fast fashion brands are trying to find a way to show you the collection for a season, but also have it available at the same time. Right. Huge for luxury, too, who, you know, typically only goes through larger big box retailers or department stores. Yeah, there's less standing in the way than ever. I mean, uh, in the consumer product world, for instance, there's a reason Unilever spent a billion dollars on Dollar Shave Club. And it wasn't just the cool ads, but it's because people buy into that and because it is disrupting I'm the way they do stuff. Yeah. I mean, I signed up way early. They need to market more to women, I think, though. Well, That's been you. a barrier. They got yeah. me, but listen, I like I'm an early adopter. Yeah, I've yeah. I've been in there for years. But uh I mean, think about it. Women our surface area for shaving is far greater. We're gonna go through blades a lot quicker, I think. True. <laughs> All right, where I'm else? Talking about uh, women shaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. There go the dinosaurs. <laughs> Let's pivot into like a dude topic. Okay. Ours. 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 <laughs> All right. But everywhere we've talked about so far, the consumer is having a massive effect on everything that's happening across the supply chain and in, in lines of business. Is yep. this happening in big manufacturing too? I think if you look at automotive or heavy industry, I think we're seeing the same type of impacts. I mean, obviously, in automotive, much more so, because at the end of the day, I would argue that automotive is just retail. I'm just selling a bigger piece of product, right? But you look at cars today, whether it's Jaguar Land Rover, whether it's BMW, even sort of mid-range cars in the Ford range, things like that, they are becoming more and more bespoke items, right? It's more and more, well, do you want you know fine Corinthian leather, and then you want you know pink stitching, and you want this kind of steering wheel? Yeah, absolutely, we we'll give you those options. You go to the BMW website and you look at their manufacturing processes for their 3 Series, and by their own estimations, if they ran their plant full tilt, throws three shifts a day, seven days a week, for three straight months, they would never build the same car twice, right, the same configuration. So that is where we're going to with the automotive world, right? And I think we're seeing that also in the industrial world where, you know, even if you're, you know, building a, a big earth mover, and you're selling it to a mining company, that mining company expects a certain degree of personalization, a certain degree of customer service that they expect as a consumer. So now we're seeing that where those supply chains have to keep up, right? We 
it's almost like, you know, I remember seeing it for one of these large heavy industry companies who was making, you know, bulldozers and things like that. Like they basically offer the same services you would get if you walk into your local GM dealership and you want to pick out all different accessories for your car, right? Do you want air conditioned cab? Do you want Sirius radio in there? Do you want this? Do you want that? So now that supply chain has to fulfill all that. So absolutely, we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of these changes, and, and we've seen it in 2016. Take automotive again, you look at all the things that Tesla's been doing, right? And they're obviously a, a big disruptor, but all the things they're doing that are really the forefront of disrupting that supply chain, right? When it comes to the fact that their car is basically just a big driving computer. You look at the fact of driverless or automated driving. Did I pronounce that right? Yes, yeah, nice staccato as well. You like that? <laughs> um, if you look at that, you know, how is that changing the way we as consumers interact with our vehicles? And are, are cars, cars, or are they being redefined, right? What do they really represent? Is it a means of transport? Is it a DJ studio on wheels? Because now I can put all kinds of entertainment things in there. You know, so I think from that standpoint, 2016 is, I don't say a tipping point, that's too drastic, but it's, especially with Tesla, I think we've seen some big changes that I think are just the forefront of what's going to happen in those industries and how it impacts the way they deal with their customers, the way their supply chains deal with it, and the way we as consumers start thinking about it, right? Again, do we, do we need cars or do we just get cars to show up when we need them? Who knows? I mean, you go look in Pittsburgh now and I heard a story that since, for those of you who don't know, like Uber went into Pittsburgh and basically went to Carnegie Mellon and said, here are the top 20 professors and students in artificial intelligence, we're all gonna give you crazy salaries, you're gonna come work for us and you're gonna build automated vehicles. And Uber said that in a few years, they expect that 80% of Uber service in Pittsburgh will not have a driver. I heard actually this morning, so they've been testing these in San Francisco. In San Francisco, they've been, they're already testing uh -huh. in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and San Francisco has said no mas. Right. Can't do this. Can't do this, but yeah. you know, just think about it, it's, gonna, it's, it's coming, it's gonna roll out. How does that impact a whole host of things, right? How does that impact? I would even argue, how does it impact retail? Because if you think about retail brick and mortar, one of the one of the connectors, if you will, between we as consumers and brick and mortar retail is the car. Yes, here in New York City, we can walk a lot of places, take the subway, but if you're out, you know, in a non-heavy urbanized area, you use the car still to get to the mall, to get to the supermarket. What happens when that changes? So I think that's something that I think we're starting to see the shift because of these technologies, these evolutions. It'll be interesting to watch as we go forward, you know, how does that impact the way we interact and, and really then trickle down to how our supply chains are run. It's funny, we want all of our products and the way that we get our products and you know, the, our ability to make choices to be a lot simpler and more streamlined. But the effect that has on the supply chain ends up being a whole lot more complication. You know, it's, uh, the automakers can't just source from one supplier anymore. The, you know, fashion brands have to really look at what not only their suppliers are doing, but their suppliers' suppliers right. are doing to show that the goods that are being made are done so in a transparent and ethical way. I mean, it's a lot that we've seen the trend shift in 2016 to building out that network view and to getting deeper insight into how the stuff is made and you know, yeah. where we're going. Where we're going, and I think Jay made a great point. It's just this transparency through the supply chain, through all these supply chains is becoming you know, it's, it's, it's table stakes, it's a need to have, it's not a nice to have. And, you know, I think the companies that get there faster will, I don't know if they'll go capture more market share quicker, but they'll get more of a halo effect, I think, in the short term than others that don't. And then 
you know, in a few years, everybody will be doing it, so then it'll be the next thing. But I think it's absolutely, there's a window, I feel like, for, for places like grocery, some parts of apparel, consumer electronics, things like that, where the quicker they can get some transparency, they might eke out a, a point or two more in terms of what they sell, which, hey, that's, that's big. And supply chain visibility, I mean, obviously the benefits in terms of efficiency and profitability are clear, but, you know, you also have to think about it in terms of mitigating risk and liability. One supply chain disaster, someone somewhere around the world finds out that one of your vendors or suppliers is operating unethically, you now have a PR disaster on your hands and some brands can never come back from that. And that's a great point because in the end of the day, it's, you know, the brands aren't competing, it's really the supply chains and you're absolutely right. I use the example of Kathy Gifford 10 years ago had a clothing line and her brand was pretty strong at the time and it was discovered that one of her subcontractors was using child labor and bye-bye, her brand That's disappeared. Yeah. And I guarantee the, the, well not guarantee, but I'm fairly certain the subcontractor who was using child labor probably just turned around and brought, you know, someone else used them and mm-hmm. they still use child labor, unfortunately, or they tweaked it for a little bit and then they went back to using it. And that, no one knows who that company's, like no one remember that company's name. Why? Because it was the Catholic Gifford brand right. that was what suffered. Yeah, I mean, it takes a long time to build a reputation, and it can all fall apart really fast. All right, so 2016, big year, lots of change. Thank you to everyone in the room. And Reinventing Retail, we can find your podcast on the iTunes Store. SoundCloud. SoundCloud as well. And the same thing for... Sizzle, Clizzle. That's right. Oh <laughs> and that's how brands fall apart. And <laughs> it takes a long time to build a reputation. That's Only right. one Jenny Reese. And just one term to... <laughs> it's like dinosaur eggs, right? That's right. They're gone. Yeah. And they're gone. And there go the dinosaur eggs. And this is Supply Chain Radio. Find us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, everyone. And here's to an exciting 2017.